Hello, welcome to The Ripple, a podcast diving into Clojure programs and libraries. This week I'm talking about Clojure command line tools with Mihil Bukent, the creator of CLJ Condo, Babashka, Sai, and many more tools. Welcome to the show, Mihil. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Maybe the last two years in particular, you've been putting out a lot of Clojure command line tools. It seems like just about every week I'll look at Twitter and see you've put out uh, some new tool <laughs> doing something pretty crazy. So I wanted to talk to you about all of these different tools and yeah, just find out a bit more about what's going on, how you're building them. So the first one, at least the most well-known tool, I think at the moment would be CLJ Condo, which is a linter for closure. So do you want to start off, tell us a bit about where that came from? What's the ideas behind that? Yeah, so the initial inspiration came from a linter called Joker. And Joker is a closure linter built in Go. And what I found nice about that one is that you can hook it up to your editor and then get feedback as you type. So it's very fast. The executable starts on every keystroke and then lints your current buffer. But it was implemented in Go. I was very enthusiastic about this this tool. And then after a while, like two years or three years after using this tool, I started to wonder, can we build something like this in Clojure itself instead of Go? And there were a couple of things I would like that Joker didn't have at the time. For example, I wanted to have arity errors when I called other namespaces. And Joker only gives arity linting for functions within the same buffer. So that was one of the first things that I wanted to have for myself. Just on that. Yeah. So Joker is a file at a time linter. There's no right. state yeah. carried between. Yeah, that, okay. I think that's correct. So then I started looking around, like, how can we build something like Joker, but in Clojure itself and get the same startup time and similar output? So I was already playing around with GraalVM at the time. And GraalVM is a tool which allows you to compile class files into a native executable that has very fast startup time. So it basically compiles what you normally run on the JVM, but then into an executable that you can run without the JVM. And uh, so I already created some command line tools with it. So I thought, well, this could be interesting. And then I started looking around how can we analyze closure code and do linting on closure code? And first I tried Tools Analyzer, which didn't work with GraalVM at the time. And then I tried Tools Reader, but Tools Reader was a little bit too low level for me because it returned the S expressions directly and not like uh, it didn't attach any location metadata to it or Maybe you can have that, but I couldn't find out how to do that. Mm -hmm. And also, if you have invalid code, it doesn't give any results. It just crashes. So if you have like a map with two of the same keys in it, then Tools Reader crashes or throws an exception. And th those are the things that you want to lint and get feedback about. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. So Tools Reader wasn't suited directly, but then I found a tool called Rewrite CLJ. And rewrite CLJ is normally closure library, which you can use to, well, rewrite closure code. So it preserves a lot of stuff like white space, 
It also attaches location metadata. So I started playing around with this and it was also worked with GraalVM straight out of the box. And quickly I had something, a working prototype. So the first linter I built like to prototype this, to see if this was a feasible combination of technologies. The first linter was like redundant uh, do. So if you have two nested do expressions, you can say, well, you can just merge the two do expressions into one do expression. Mm. So it's a redundant do expression. So that was the first thing I built and it was fairly easy to build. So it was nice to get started with. And this is how uh, Sales Condo was born. I think within two weeks or something, I released the first version of Sales Condo, which, which had this redundant do and redundant let expressions. And then within a couple of weeks, I added the cross namespace arity linting feedback as well. And then I started adding support for CLGC files and stuff like that. And those were the harder parts to get right. But eventually it became like the thing it is now, a linter with which has a lot of features and a lot of configurability implemented in Clojure. And it has like 44 contributors. So if you are writing Clojure and using this linter and you miss anything about it, you can just contribute to it while still writing Clojure. And that was basically my goal. Yeah. And that's, I guess, you know, a difference with Joker, where if you want to contribute to Joker, I suspect you need to know, you know, go to some level. Yeah. So one thing you mentioned, uh, which I think may come up again and again through this podcast, is that Rewrite CLJ was suited or worked with GraalVM right away. So what does that mean for a library to be able to work with GraalVM? What kind of things would stop it from being, being able to work with GraalVM? Yeah, I don't know if it's true today, but at the time I tried Tools Analyzer, I think I ran into an issue which is known as CLJ1472, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one, which was about the locking macro. And the locking macro was problematic with GraalVM for a long time because the bytecode that it emitted was not verifiable by GraalVM. So GraalVM had to verify if all the monitor enters lined up with the monitor exit. And JVM bytecode that it emitted wasn't analyzable. But there is a fix for this now in closure 1.10.2 alpha 1. And I haven't heard anyone run into this issue anymore since that got released. So that's great. But one thing that doesn't work with GraalVM for sure is Clojure Core Eval, for example. Right. Because GraalVM doesn't support dynamic class loading. And if you use Clojure Core Eval and you define a function, for example, it emits like a class file, either on disk or in memory. And then it adds it to the class path. And this is not something that you can do with GraalVM or at least not with the GraalVM native image tool. So GraalVM has multiple yeah. parts to it, but right now we're talking about the native image tool. And with the native image tool, you cannot do dynamic class loading. So it assumes like a closed world of class files or classes. And this is a limitation with GraalVM. So if you have like dynamic resolve and require combinations in your code that load namespaces during the runtime of the program, that is something that GraalVM cannot handle because it has to know everything 
ahead of time that your program can do. So it has a static analyzer, which analyzes all the reachable classes. And then it includes those classes into the executable. And if your program is too dynamic, then you run into problems. So, And so for Clojure in particular, like you can't give GraalVM just a, you know, a Clojure file. It doesn't know what to do with that. So you need to compile the Clojure files to class files yeah. before you run native image over that using Linegan's Uberjar or some other AOT yep. compilation kind of tool. Yep. People might not think, well, you know, I'm not writing eval in my code, so this doesn't apply to me. One thing where this came up for us was using Integrant, where Integrant, at least one way you can use Integrant, is to have it load namespaces for you on demand based on the config file that you use, which is, there's lots of good things about that. But one thing is that it makes it quite difficult to if you're using that strategy, then when you're AOT compiling your application, it's many of the namespaces aren't going to be reached because they're never evaluated because you know it gets resolved at, at runtime. So yeah, that's I guess you know something to be aware of. Yeah, I also tried to get uh, there is a new HTTP client JDK 11 HTTP client called Hato H A T O. Mm-hmm. And that one also requires some libraries dynamically or they are optional. And when they are present, they are used to coerce some things into transit or JSON, for example. Yeah. And so these are also, yeah, this gets problems with, with GraalVM. So I made a fork of this library where I made this all static, like just exclude the requires and make it like a normal namespace require at the top, mm-hmm. then it worked. So, but these are sometimes modifications that you have to make to get libraries working with GraalVM. Yeah. I think it's interesting that Clojure is thought of as a, a very dynamic language and it is extremely dynamic, but you only need to ratchet back one or two steps from that extreme dynamicism to be able to get something that works really well with native image, yeah. which is pretty nice uh, that it's, you don't have to give up everything to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So do you want to talk a little bit more about Babashka, which is another library that you've written which addresses uh, closure startup time and native image in a different way? Yes. One of the limitations of GraalVM is closure core eval, like we just discussed. Well, Babashka is a tool in which you can write scripts that are executed using a closure interpreter. So instead of closure core eval, it uses a closure interpreter to interpret closure code. So you still can have, you can execute arbitrary closure expressions at runtime without using closure core eval. And so Babeshka is a tool which has instant startup and this is what it makes suited for scripting while still having the ability to execute a significant subset of JVM closure programs for scripting. So it is a huge workaround around Closure Core Eval to write a Closure <laughs> Interpreter, but uh, it's worth it, I think. Yeah. And where I got the idea to write this Closure Interpreter was not like, oh, let's build a Closure Interpreter. It was more like um, gradual inspiration because it started with a tool called uh, Jet. And Jet is a command line tool that I wrote to convert between JSON, Eden, and Transit. Mm-hmm. 
But um, on the way home from Heart of Closure in the train, I decided, well, JQ, like the JSON tool, has a nice query language where you can filter out stuff and then see the result on the command line. And I wanted to add something like this to JET. So then I started writing a case expression, like if the user types map <laughs> map with a keyword, let's look up the function map and execute map over the input with this function. And I started adding filter and select keys, stuff like that. Well, when that was finished, I thought, well, this is nice. And it still works with GraalVM, despite the fact that we don't have Closure Core Evolve. And when I took a step back, I thought, well, this is actually a small closure interpreter already. I only have to make it like normal closure because this was a kind of a DSL that I wrote in, in Jet. If I make it look a little bit more like normal closure, you can actually do useful stuff with this. And that's how I started Babeshka initially. Great. So how different or how far is Babeshka's uh, variant of closure from Closure core. Yeah, I tried to support as much as reasonably possible. And there are already quite some large libraries that it can execute. For example, I made a library called Spartan.spec, which is a subset of Closure spec, mm -hmm. which the only thing missing from Closure spec there is instrumentation and generative testing using test check. Yep. And the rest is all supported. And this is, you can execute this as just as a script. So this entire library gets interpreted and then you can do spec expressions. Great. So it all already can do quite a lot. It even has uh, namespaces. It has macros. It has multi-methods. So a dynamic vars. And the only th things missing from that are supported on the JVM things like Dev Protocol mm -hmm. and uh, Reify, because uh, Dev Protocol and Reify generate interfaces at runtime. And this I haven't figured out how to do that in with GraalVM because of the same restriction that we already discussed. Like you cannot do dynamic class loading. Right. So how can I make, make an interface on the fly and stuff like that? So, uh, but I would say in... Like 99% of the scripts that I wrote in Bash, I wouldn't need something like Dev Protocol or Reify. So maybe that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I guess that comes to like, where's this targeted or how big a program should you write with Babashka before you say, all right, let's turn this into a quote unquote real closure program? Yeah. Where does this fit? So I don't know because. The spec library I wrote, for example, is, yeah, I can look up how big it is, but I don't know from the top of my head, but a couple of hundreds of lines. Mm -hmm. Let me just look it up, spartan.spec. Uh, it's a couple of hundreds of lines, and let me see. It's 1,400 lines of code, Wow! and it loads in 80 milliseconds or something. So even if the execution speed is slower, then on the JVM, you still have the startup benefit. So if a library only takes 80 milliseconds to load, it's still faster to get stuff done than on a JVM if you only have like a short running script. It totally depends on what you do with it. One thing that is definitely slower is when you have a loop with million iterations, for example, 
Right. Closure on the JVM emits very efficient bytecode using the loop. Is it a special form or a macro? I'm not sure. But it's very tight JVM bytecode that is very optimized. Yeah. And in the in the interpreter, a loop gets like significant overhead compared to the JVM. So if you have a million iterations, for example, in Psi, it will take one and a half second maybe. And on the JVM, it's only a couple of milliseconds. Right. So this is where the difference comes in. So, but like like I said, like ninety nine percent of the best scripts I ever wrote do not have million iterations. So, <laughs> so in that in that case, it's it's probably okay. Yeah, I think you have to benchmark it from uh, with specific scripts if you want to know which one is better. Right. But for short running scripts that are only like take five seconds or something. Probably Babesh has a good fit. Great. And it's not like you need to write all of your your code in one file and every time you sort of run a new library, you kind of copy in the standard library or your useful functions across. It looks like there's, there's ways of being able to manage your distribution separately from your source code. Do you want to talk about what that, what that looks like? Uh, do you mean that you can use libraries or... Yeah, using libraries and bundling things into a distributed file. So like a project, a, for example. Yeah, and UberScript. Uber uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So uh, maybe it's good to explain that Babeshka has a couple of things built inside of it. So you have libraries that just come along with the binary that you can download. It's a self-contained binary, and you, you don't need anything else to run it. It's only 40 megabytes unzipped. It's zipped. It's only like 10 megabytes or something. And you don't need a JVM to execute it. It comes with libraries like Cheshire for JSON, and Transit, Closure Tool CLI, stuff like that. It's all included for scripting. Uh-huh. So you do not have to load these libraries from anywhere else. So they are included inside the binary. And if you have a project, like a Babeshka project, you can just make a source folder with different namespaces and then say, tell Babeshka, well, Babeshka has the concept of class path. So you can say minus minus class path and then source. And and if you then say, well, the main function is in this namespace, then Babeshka will just look up the main function and execute start the execution from there. So it's similar to what you would do with Clojure CLI, I would say. Yeah. And also you can load libraries. If you like have functions that you use regularly, you can put them in your in a library on GitHub if you want, and then use tools like Clojure or Lanningen to fetch them from Maven or Clojars or, or GitHub, and then produce a class path, and then you give... Babeshka the class path, and then it knows where to find the code. So it can also load code from jar files and stuff like that. So this is, it's not like a toy closure implementation. This is pretty close to a full, you can load libraries, you work with class paths. Like this is a kind of a very extensive kind of tool. Uh, it seems, <laughs> seems to me anyway, like how much at least you do. Yeah. I try to make it as useful as possible and and as close to the JVM experience as possible. So 
I would say I don't have a lot of scripts that I have like spread across 10 namespaces or something, but you can do that if you want to. Right. Uh, and so if people want to bring this into their, their company, what's the, what would be sort of like the minimal requirements to, to bring this into the, the company source, like as a script for some utility in the company source code? So you have to install Babeshka and the installation is as simple as just grab the binary from GitHub and put it in your path. And mm-hmm. that's basically it. Great. So, and then you have to write some closure. <laughs> Right, so it's a pretty low low impact way of getting started with Babeshka. Uh-huh. Yeah, and if you have already closure in your company, it's also, I would say, a low risk thing to adopt because if it doesn't work out, if you find Babeshka too limited or for some reason, then you can always go back to normal closure and run it from there right. and pay the <laughs> startup time, obviously. But so, and. Quite a few years ago now, Clojure introduced reader conditionals and CLJC and different sort of language variants. Is CLJ, is the Psy Clojure interpreter, is that like just CLJ? Is there, have you thought about like reader conditionals for a CLJB or um, <laughs> yeah, something? Yeah. yeah, we have thought about it. So Babeshka is like the scripting tool and it uses Psy for the interpretation of closure code mm-hmm. but Psy is configurable and it is agnostic about what libraries you put into it and you can also configure which reader conditionals it will read or if it will read any reader conditionals great and so in babeshka i, I just say i want to support the clj branch and the bb branch so bb is short for babeshka that's also how the mm-hmm. command line tool is called and so if you read a CLJC file and you put the BB branch before the CLJ branch, it will execute only the BB branch. Mm-hmm. But if you put the CLJ branch first, uh, it will take that branch. Right. Okay. The reason for that last uh, choice is because a lot of libraries already work out of the box with Babeshka. Mm-hmm. And, but before we didn't take the CLJ branch, we had to copy or fork a library and then copy all the CLJ branches uh, to the BB uh, branch. And then you could yeah. execute it. But it was a very tedious task. And usually it was an exact copy of the branch. So then we decided, <laughs> well, let's just take the CLJ branch and be done with it. And then now you can run libraries like uh, Matly, like the it has utilities functions for closure yeah Uh, you can just run it run it from the exact original version without any changes there's also a new library called regal for uh regular expressions and it just works when it was released it just worked without any changes and it's also a salesjc library so that's the reason why we also support the salesj branch and so even though closure closure core and closure script have no knowledge of Babashka, they don't understand what BB means. That's not not a problem, at least not. At the no, moment. no, it just yeah, it, can... it's just ignored. Yeah. So the closure reader, you can you can tell what what features uh, it should read, and the rest is ignored. So features are things like CLJ or CLJS or CLJR or in the case of Babashka BB, and the rest is just ignored. And this is very nice because it allows 
new closure implementations to just take advantage of this without breaking any other environments. So yeah, that that is very cool. So tell me a little bit about implementing vars inside because I imagine that was probably a pretty tricky part of this. Yeah. So initially, Sci didn't have any vars. So what we just did there was you can give it options and you say namespaces, and then you just give it a map with a symbol, for example, Cheshire.core. And then you give it a map, generate string. And then in the generate string key, you pass the generate string function from Cheshire. Mm-hmm. And this is how it was initially was uh, namespace was implemented just like regular hash maps with symbols to functions. Mm-hmm. So there were no real vars. But later on, people started asking, can you support the out dynamic var, for example? And people started asking for, can you support binding? Because people wanted to use binding and out to use print line to print right. to something different than standard out, right? So mm-hmm. that that's how I got thinking, well... We can maybe support normal closure vars inside of Psi, but also one goal of Psi is to be like an isolated environment. And if people start passing vars to Psi, then the Psi programs can mutate the vars and the outside environment would see like the effect of that. And this is why I eventually decided to make vars inside a distinct type from Closure's own vars. So it's a separate dev type in which I re-implemented um, how vars in normal Closure work. And I looked at a lot of code in ClojureScript because <laughs> ClojureScript also has, has a dev type for var. And also I looked a lot at the Closure lang var Java names file and the Java source code. But it was not, well, it was... I wouldn't say easy, but it was also wasn't that hard to support all of the things that VARs need. Like um, they have thread local bindings and SciFars mm-hmm. also support this because we needed to support binding, obviously. And later on, I started adding things like alter VAR root and stuff like that. And it's all distinct from the closure runtime. So you don't see any... And also namespaces, for example, if you introduce new namespaces inside your closure or in, inside your Psi environment, you don't see this effect in the closure runtime. So this is why it's all replicated as a distinct world, so to speak. Yeah. And so it was pretty interesting to look at, at the code and how it was implemented in closure. And I started asking some questions on closure in Slack. Why does closure var has this counter private field yeah well it was just there because in the beginning but it's not used anymore and stuff like that so uh, <laughs> so you have to like do some uh, digging like what is essential and what is not effort and uh well the closure vars or the side vars also well you can do alter var root and if you do alter var root the function is altered atomically like with swap for example yeah. And uh, but for this, I needed something like uh, the locking macro because to do it atomically, or I could use an atom, but atoms don't support uh, thread local bindings, so that's also not an option. 
And so eventually I, I wrote a library called uh, Graal Locking, I think, mm -hmm. which had a fix for the uh, CLJ 141472 mm -hmm. issue, which wasn't solved at the time, which you can also use from GraalVM uh, or from the Psi interpreter itself. So, so that is... Uh, I use that to implement like locking for these VARs, but it, it it's also it also supports the locking macro inside the site interpreter itself. So, yeah, these were interesting uh, details to to study and get working. What you can do with Sci, so you can build other things like Babeshka. So Sci is a library, and you can create dynamic Sci VARs, and then also. The Psi binding macro is also exposed as a library function, so you can bind it outside your interpreter to some value and then feed this var inside as an option into the interpreter, and and then programs can can use these vars, for example. So it, it turned out pretty pretty nice and controllable. Yeah, that's uh, seems pretty. Pretty extensive, you know, how close this is to closure core or that the original closure. One of the things in the in the readme is you show calling a bunch of Java time APIs, which is, is kind of surprising. Like I can imagine, sure you've got a closure interpreter, you can interpret whatever you want from closure. What's the limitations with calling into the Java APIs? Yeah. Is this just what's included in the the JVM runtime? So Initially in Babeshka, I wanted to add some support for selection of Java classes that, that were uh, useful for scripting or the Java IO file class, for example, right. is useful for in interacting with files. Uh, for example, you want to check if a file exists or delete a file or make directories or stuff like that. And also, like, the system class is pretty useful. If you want to exit a script with a certain exit code, you call system exit and then some number. Uh, so I wanted to add this to, to the language and also to have more compatibility with existing Closure programs. So the way I started doing this is basically mock the class names with a function. So I added, like, an option you can... You can pass functions to Psi using symbols and then that map to the function. But I also just added like a symbol Java IO file dot or something. Mm -hmm. And then I added like a function that created a file, like a stand in for the constructor. So this is how it used to work initially. And users didn't notice that this was different from JVM closure because ostensibly it was just the same code and it worked. Exactly the same, mm -hmm. but it was pretty much, well, it was a lot of work to make all these stand-in functions. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I wrote some macros to do to generate all this stuff. And, but eventually I discovered that GraalVM supports reflection. And so you can uh, add classes to a list or a configuration file. And then GraalVM will remember all of the methods of these classes and you can use the reflection API in Java to access these methods and then call them. So this is used right now. So if you, for example, call the, 
exists on a file object, I invoke closure lang reflector on the file object and then look up the exist method and then execute the exist the real exists method. So now it's very easy to support for Java classes to Babeshka. I just have to add them add them to lists and then it basically works. So And this reflection is stop me if I'm getting any of this wrong, but this is like a an escape hatch for Java programs which you know have some dynamicism in them and yeah. so they couldn't be fully statically analyzed with with native image. So they said, all right, well you can't load these things completely at runtime, but if you tell us the set of things that could be loaded will sort of compile them in and let you reflect on them yeah. at runtime. Is that, is that roughly correct? Yeah, that is uh, why GraalVM supports this. But you can also use this to build a closure interpreter, uh, <laughs> apparently. So, uh, And I haven't heard them complain like, well, this is not how you should use it or something. I they know the GraalVM developers, or at least some of them know that Babeshka exists and what I'm doing with it. Because I uh, I spend, a, well, not a lot of time, but uh, uh, I post from time to time on their GitHub uh, issue tracker and visit their, their uh, GraalVM Slack channel to ask questions and stuff like that. So they know what I'm doing, and I've also gotten good feedback from them. So Great. Well, that's, that's encouraging. So another tool you've written is called dips.clj. Um, so do you want to tell us about what this is? Why why is it important? Yeah. So when I wrote Babeshka, the goal was to replace bash scripts with Clojure for whoever finds that useful. And so I wanted to have more test use cases, like let's get a large bash script and port it all the way to, to Clojure using Babeshka. And let's see how far I can get. And one of the largest bash scripts that I knew of was inside the Clojure CLI. This bash script is called uh, Clojure. And it, it's a large chunk of, of bash. And so I started uh, replacing all the bash code one by one with Clojure code. And this ended up as Depths CLJ. So I didn't want to call it like... Uh, tools, depths, replacement, CLJ or something. <laughs> but uh, I, I just added like uh, .CLJ to the name to emphasize that this is written in enclosure and not in bash. And the name depths obviously hints at tools.depths. And it does exactly the same as the closure CLI tool, but it's written entirely in closure instead of bash. And it runs just as fast as the bash equivalent. So th- that's why I did that basically. And it works. That was nice. So I had to fix some bits in, in Babeshka. So I found like new bugs or edge cases, which I fixed. So that was also beneficial. But then later on, some people told me that in, in Windows, uh, support for the Clojure CLI tool is not always fully functional. For example, in command.exe, you cannot use the Clojure uh, CLI because it relies on PowerShell. Uh, and but depthsailj just works in command.exe. <laughs> well, you can run this from source with Babeshka as a script, but I also made one variation of this where I just compile all this code to a native binary using GraalVM, and this I call the depths.exe. Right. And 
So now you can just download this binary on your Windows machine and run it from command.exe and it just works. It also, it automatically downloads a jar file that the closure CLI uses, closuretools.jar something. It's automatic. So the only thing you have to do is download a binary and then you can start. There is no installation process apart from that. And some people have used this in corporate environments where on their Windows machines where they couldn't use the normal closure tools. So it turned out to be useful in a way that I didn't expect myself. And uh, <laughs> honestly, it was born out of like proof of concept for what can I do with Babeshka? Is Babeshka ready to port these large bash scripts? Great. Well, I think you succeeded there. <laughs> A newer library that you came out, well, new to me, uh, I think it's new, uh, is Carve. Yeah. Do you want to tell us what is Carve? What does that do? Yeah. So the depth.clj was born in my last Christmas break, and so was Carve. If I have a few days off, I come up with these crazy ideas, I guess. And uh, <laughs> so Carve, the what it is for, it, it detects unused uh, functions and vars in your uh, closure code. And it can also automatically remove them if you want. But it also can just print out a report like these are the things I found and do whatever you want with them. <laughs> so Carve, how it is implemented. Condo has the ability to export data that it found. Like uh, I found a var in this file, on this line, and on this column. And also I found that you use this var in this other file, and this line, and that column. So it can export this data as JSON or Eden. And so this Carve tool is built on top of this data that Condo exports. You can use Condo as a library, as a JVM library as well. So it's not only a binary, you, you can just use it as a library as well mm -hmm. and so carve uses this data and then it uses rewrite sales to automatically remove the vars it has an interactive mode so you can like first print like the node that it wants to remove mm -hmm. then you can say yes or no or add it to an ignore file so it won't pop up the next time so yeah that's carve and so carve i'm imagining you wouldn't run this on a library necessarily because most of the functions in a library are called by something else. Yeah, but you can do that. You can uh, configure Carve and say, well, this is an API namespace. And so I want you only to report the, the private functions that you're not using, for example. Ooh, uh, yeah. Yeah. It also has an aggressive mode. So <laughs> in aggressive mode, for example, if you have three functions... And function A uses function B, and B uses C. But function C is not used, then, yeah, C will be reported, but B won't be reported because uh, B is used. Uh -huh. And in aggressive mode, it will traverse this entire graph of unused things and report them all. But if you have an application, then eventually everything is unused, of course. So you have to start somewhere and you, so, and you can say like, well, these are my main methods or something. So these are my starting points and I'm pretty sure I'm using those. And now Carve, tell me what else is not used. So this is also an option. I really like that aggressive mode. 
I've definitely had the experience of like, you know, this function's unused, delete it. Okay, now this function's unused and just keep working backwards uh, until, you know, most of the file's gone. And yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's really good. Yeah. So you've also done some work on spec libraries. You've ported spec to Babashka, but there was respect and speculative. Yeah. What's going on with those? Yeah. So it was uh, 2018, November 2018, that I had a little conversation on Twitter with uh, Mike Fikes and Eric Essam. Mm -hmm. So it was about, well, maybe we should have specs for core functions because sometimes functions behave in some way that you didn't expect or they accept input that you're not sure if it's defined input or maybe you're just lucky that it works. So in those cases, it would be nice to have some specs for the core functions. And also in cases where you use closure.set, for example, if you put like vectors in closure set function functions use, and you use uh, difference or union or something, you get like unexpected undefined results. So usually it's good to only pass sets in there, but how do you know, like you have no feedback that you can make mistakes so if you would have core specs and you could instrument those then you would have this feedback during development right so that is then i started working together with mike fikes and eric essam on speculative and we added a spec a few specs in the beginning and uh, later on i became uh yeah a little bit more active and few months in, I think December or January, we had, I don't know how many, but we specced a lot of the core functions, at least uh, 100 most popular functions. <laughs> and and Eric Essam decided, well, you should take this library into your GitHub account because I'm not actually contributing or working much on, on this anymore. So then I took it over and yeah, I played around around with it a lot but the impractical thing of this was if you have an, an application and you have like 100 core specs and then you start instrumenting those the application becomes really really slow even in just in development so the overhead of calling spec validations on every function call in a closure program becomes too much for core functions that is what i had found and i was a little bit disappointed that it didn't work out so at least for that purpose although it was nice to have now some kind of reference like what does the community think that that the specs should be mm -hmm. i think that is a nice as a, as a reference at least so then around december or it was actually again in a christmas break i listened to an episode of this very podcast the rebel and you discussed, I think, with Martin Klepsch of uh, SailJ Doc. Yeah. That maybe it, it would be useful to have something around spec in SailJ Doc. I think you brought up also Hoogle. Yes. And then I had the idea, well, I have all these specs and maybe I can build something like Hoogle with this. And this became a project called Refined. So Refined mm -hmm. is a, a website. Maybe I should post a link to the show notes as well. And Refined is a website where you can fill in some example input and some example output, and then it will find for you the core functions 
of which the specs do apply to this example input and output. So if you have an input uh, like uh, one and two and the output is three, it will show the plus function, for example. That's the most simple example I can right. give you. So, and this is driven by these core specs. So this is pretty much what I did with speculative. I also did a lot of work to verify if these specs are actually correct. So I ran them on a lot of test code. For example, uh, Mike Fikes had a enormous corpus of, I think it was foreclosure solutions. And this repository is, repository is called Coal Mine. And we instrumented the specs and then ran all these coal mine solutions, foreclosure mm -hmm. solutions. Like sometimes we found cases that the specs were incorrect, but also a lot of times we found that people were using the function merge, for example, instead of conch, where they could have used conch. Uh, no. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that happened a lot, actually. But yeah, so if you look at the implementation of merge, it effectively boils down to conch a lot of the times because you can actually conch two maps to each other, I think. Yeah, I remember seeing something very strange yeah. like this. So um, it accidentally works, but we didn't agree that this should be used like that. So then we still kept the spec of merge to work on only maps, I think. So, right. so it was a nice exercise, I would say, to learn more about closure internals. We also got a lot of feedback from Alex Miller about what the spec should or should not be. For example, if you have sequence functions, first we had like a lot of specs were like, well, it's a seekable to a seek or something. Mm -hmm. But then yep. Alex Miller corrected us. Well, it's not always a seekable because in this very edge case over here, we avoid creating a seek from this seekable. So then we had to change our spec because of one edge case somewhere. Mm -hmm. But I learned a lot from this. And also, well, Sales Condo doesn't use spec, but it has some form of type checking. So if it knows that you're calling closure set union with a vector or, or a map or something instead of a set, it will give a warning. And I used a lot of these specs, translate them to the sales condo type system, so to speak. Right. So in that regard, it was also a useful work that we did there. And it saved me a lot of time implementing this type stuff with uh, sales condo, although I don't use it directly. So a few nice things came out of this, even though I'm not using the library itself anymore. Do you see a way forward for? closure core to be specced like the performance like how much slower are we talking about well i can give you an extreme example what also comes up a lot of during christmas breaks is uh, the advent of code puzzles yeah and i had one advent of code puzzle that took maybe two seconds or something on my laptop but when i instrumented the core specs it would take 15 minutes Ooh. because of some hot loop right right Okay. <laughs> so these are the extreme examples i would say yeah because hot loops this is exactly the problem why babeshka can be slower than than the jvm in such cases because this loop code is very optimized and if you add a few instructions to every loop it becomes like magnitude slower 
Right. And it's the very same thing with spec, I would say. Hmm. Yeah, that's it would be really nice if there was some way to you know instrument you know the core specs. Uh, but uh, maybe if you turn on like only a subset, like only the closure set namespace, for example, I don't think that would be very noticeable during development. So and that's already I think the most useful part from all these specs. So I'm just kind of spitballing here, but some sort of dynamic I mean, maybe this adds too much overhead, but a dynamic spec checker where it sort of figures out, all right, I've been called enough times here and like all of the last 100 calls were correct. I'm going to sample down to like 10% and then 1% of the yeah. the call. So it's like dynamic instrumentation backing off yeah. once it gets more confidence. I think that could be an interesting approach. But also if you have like an, a loop with million iterations, the last call you do in this loop is exactly the thing you might have gotten wrong. And uh, like a profile <laughs> will maybe say after a hundred times, well, let's now back off, right? So, mm-hmm. so maybe maybe it, it will be of, of value in practice, but maybe it also will be not enough. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, maybe next Christmas. But right right now, <laughs> next Christmas. So right now in Sales Econo, I, I tried to statically like uh know if some if you have some type wrong so if you use a string and bind it to a name or something in the let expression and then use that name somewhere else like you merge on that name then you get get an exception a warning like you cannot call merge on a string or something so right so it's not just on literals it flows yeah at least a little bit through so and it also lints like uh, these types also flow through uh, function return values. So if it will infer like if you write a function that returns a string and you use this function call inside merge, for example, you you will also get a warning. So and this doesn't cost you any performance like spec instrumentation, but it's more limited. So maybe both approaches can be combined somehow i don't know i guess you can't have it all <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what you do during your day job uh, when you're not writing command line tools <laughs> yeah so i work for a company uh, or i'm contracting with a company called dr evidence and dr evidence consists of multiple teams and i'm in a team that creates doc search and doc search is a search engine and also an analytics tool for medical literature and well medical literature comes for example from PubMed maybe you've heard of that yeah PubMed is a database with medical abstracts from medical science so we index that we use natural language processing to recognize like the terms from those articles and then and we have ontologies which describe the relations between those terms. And we use that to get better search results. So you can say, I want to search not only for heart disease, but I also want to search for all terms that are descendant of heart disease. So this will match all the articles that do not literally m- maybe mention heart disease, but use more specific terms, for example. Right. Okay. And we also give analytics like for your search results, like where in the world are these 
is this mentioned a lot from the literature mm-hmm. and like distributions on male, female, and age. Also, like co-occurrences, like you search for heart disease, but all these other terms co-occur a lot with heart disease. And then you can continue with these other terms if you want. And you can save search queries and get like emails for new results in for your search queries so you can keep up to date for specific topics. So this is basically what doc search is. There is a lot more to it, but I think that suffices as an introduction. And it's all built in Clojure, mostly. Not all of it, but mostly. So the front end is built in Clojure Script. We use uh, Reagent, Reframe. I guess that's pretty much the de facto standard nowadays in front end Clojure Script applications. And we're pretty happy with it. So on the back end, we use Clojure and the JVM. And we have multiple services. So we have, well, not a lot, but... Well, we have one application, so to speak, and then we have another service, which is called the annotator. And the annotator does like the job of free text mappings to these known terms that we have in our ontologies. And so we this is also built in Clojure. And then we have another service which detects if certain text should be labeled as like an outcome or as an intervention or as a population and... uh, so we have machine learning models for that, and that's built in Python. So that's basically our stack. We use Postgres database, and we also use Elasticsearch. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a very interesting project because there's always something new to do or to learn, and it's all in, mostly in Clojure. So yeah, I'm pretty happy working on this team. So, Did you have any medical background before you started? Not really, no. I do have an interest in like uh, health and science about like the effect on diet and lifestyle on on health. Mm-hmm. In that regard, I also find it interesting. Like if I search for a certain topic, that PubMed has also a lot of information about that. Not that I'm like an expert can make like the best judgments about this all, but it does interest me. I don't have really have a doctor or medical background, per se. So, But you don't need that to do what you are. You don't need that, no, no. We do have other people that we work with who do have this background. So, yeah, that makes up a good team, I guess. How structured are the trials or the documents that you're looking at? Are they all in a pretty similar format? or? Yeah, so we get data from a variety of sources, and uh, we deal with, XML from PubMed, for example, that is very structured. But we also deal with uh, RSS feeds, which are less structured. Mm-hmm. And we also scrape some websites, like the WHO website, which is quite painful, to be honest, to scrape. It took a lot of work to get structure out of that. And we also deal with PDFs and stuff like that. So it's not all that great structure-wise. So it takes a lot of effort to get the right data out of this. But yeah, that's what we do. So it's <laughs> uh, much valuable. <laughs> and is your team hiring at the moment or do they hire every now and again? We just grew our team earlier this year with a few new people. So I think it will take some time to get the new team 
like uh, up to speed. So I think mm-hmm. for now we're fine, but maybe later we will need new closure people. I'm not sure. And probably I'm not the guy to make that call. So <laughs> if we have new openings, I will definitely post it on my Twitter and uh, right. make it known everywhere. So, yeah. Nice. And something quite topical at the moment, uh, Dr. Evidence has put out a website, covid19.drevidence.com. Yep. So what's that do? Yeah, so before this COVID situation, our product was not open to the public. And uh, so it's only used by paying customers like pharmaceutical companies and uh, other companies. But we have been discussing like opening like a subset of our features to the public already for a few months, but we never got to it because we had other things to do that were more important. Mm -hmm. But now it seemed like a good idea to help like people who want to dig into the the medical literature about COVID-19, which comes out daily at a very fast speed to give access to that at least. So we decided to make the product public and pre-populate like the demo user that you're going to log in with searches around the coronavirus. So yeah, that seemed like a appropriate thing to do to the company. So this is why we did that. And we already wanted to do something like this. So this was the right timing, I guess. Great. And people can go here and see this is the uh, app that you work on, isn't it? DocSearch. Yeah, it is. So they can see all of the things that we just described you know, in full detail. It's very cool. Well, I mean, the site is cool. What's going on is, is certainly not. No, <laughs> ah. I get it. Um. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for, for talking with me and for building all of these great tools and libraries and everything. You know, the, the Clojure community is much richer having you in it. So yeah, thank you for everything you do. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. And uh, I find it very satisfying that I can scratch my own itch and also scratch the itch of the (laughs) part of the community, I guess. So at the same time, and uh, yeah, I I have a lot of fun doing it. So yeah, I'm glad I, I, something that I made is actually used by other people as well. So yeah, thanks for having me, man. That's all right. Uh, Thanks a lot. Catch you later. Bye.